0: Hello, it's Kamal Ahmed here, and I'm here to tell you about Energised. The brand new podcast, Intelligent Squared, is launching in partnership with ePadrola. The climate crisis is the most pressing issue of our time. Temperatures are set to rise more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels in the next two decades, an increase that will cause irreversible damage to our planet. But is there still hope? If humans are to blame for climate change, then we must also provide the solutions. And that's where Energised comes in. Join me as I bring together experts and policymakers to delve deep into the key issues at the heart of the global drive towards net zero and the innovations that promise to accelerate the energy transition and transform the way we live. Just search Energised wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.
2: Can electric vehicles solve our transport and emissions problems? That's the theme of this week's episode of the Sunday debate in partnership with Iberdrola. Here's the host, Kamal Ahmed, with more. Welcome to
0: all of you. It's the second instalment of Energised this new series from Intelligence Squared, in partnership with eBedrola. Will electric vehicles make our roads green and clean? Now, let's have a few facts about electric vehicles. They are responsible for considerably lower emissions over their lifetime than vehicles powered by fossil fuels. In over a year, just one electric car on the roads can save an average 1.5 million grams of carbon dioxide. Now, with transport being a primary source of carbon emissions, it would seem that electric vehicles present, many would argue, a golden opportunity to make transport environmentally friendly. In the UK, by 2030, cars and vans powered by fossil fuels will be banned, And five years after that, so will hybrid vehicles. Car manufacturers such as Ford have promised that by 2030, all of their passenger vehicles sold in Europe will be all electric. But the big question for this evening, are they really the best way to make our roads green and clean? Emissions from electric vehicle production are in fact on average higher than emissions produced during the traditional car manufacturing process and arguably they are only as clean as the electricity used to power them. Furthermore, some say the focus on electric cars has neglected other possible solutions such as hydrogen fuel cells or improving public transports. Are electric vehicles really the best way to solve our transport and emissions problems? Before we go to our leaders, let's see what the results of that initial question are from us. Are they, electric vehicles, the future for a clean and green world? Yes, says 39%. No, say 19%. Undecided, 42%. So, Enrique and Christian, lots to play for. 42% undecided. Let's see which way people's opinions go as the debate continues. So our first speaker, Enrique Meronio, he is head of quality and new initiatives at Ibradrola, coordinating the sustainable mobility initiatives from a corporate perspective. He holds an industrial engineering degree from the ICAI School of Engineering in Spain and a global energy MBA from the University of Warwick, in the UK. Welcome, Enrique. Thanks so much for joining us in this event. And the floor
3: is yours. Thank you very much, Kamal. Very well pronounced. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) There's a well-known quote attributed to Henry Ford after he'd launched the first Model T car. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. The same concept can be applied to electric vehicles today. In 1900, there were over 11,000 horse drawn hansom cabs on the streets of London. There were also several thousand horse drawn buses, each needing 12 horses per day, making a staggering total of over 50,000 horses transporting people around the city each day. To add to this, there were yet more horse drawn carts delivering goods around what was then the largest city in the world. This huge number of horses created major problems. The main concern was the large amount of manure left behind on the streets. On average, a horse will produce up to 15 kilograms of manure per day, as well as around two pints of urine. So you can imagine the serious scale of the problem. The manure on London streets also attracted huge number of flies, which then spread typhoid and other diseases. The streets of London were beginning to poison its people, but this wasn't just a British crisis. New York had a population of 100,000 horses producing around 1 million kilograms of manure a day. This problem came to a head up when in 1984, in 1894, excuse me, the Times predicted. In 50 years, every street in London will be buried under, under nine feet of manure. This became known as the great horse manure crisis of 1894. In fact, the terrible situation was debated in 1898 at the world's first international urban planning conference in New York, but no solution could be found. It seems urban civilization was doomed, but then came the invention of the car, not as a solution for the manure crisis, but as an act of innovation. And then at the problem literally vanished the amazing developments of 1900 to 1920 represented, as analysts like Mackenzie claimed, mobility's first inflection point. To lean on Henry IV once again, looking to the past and desiring faster horses, wouldn't have led to this technological innovation and social prosperity. In fact, it would have exacerbated the manure crisis further. From my point of view, the current situation is not that different. We could relate the great horse manure crisis of 1894 as the late, the late 1800s equivalent of current global warming. It is widely accepted that climate change is the single greatest challenge of our times. And again, an energy and action is needed. And like the manure crisis, the solution does not lie in the past. We must look to the future and embracing innovation, we are to have a fighting chance of slowing climate change. We are already starting to see this happen with technological enablers appearing from other sectors, in this case, computers and smartphones in the form of enhanced batteries. What's more, we are seeing companies like Tesla or traditional OEMs like Renault Nissan appearing as innovative entrepreneurs to make electric vehicles a game changer and enabler of a new mobility second inflection point. To support the previous statement, I would like to highlight three main benefits that EVs provides, electric vehicles provides. First, no tailpipe emissions and no noise pollution. Second, much better energy efficiency from from four to five times better than internal combustion engine, and third, Double benefit for the decarbonization of the electricity sector, fostering electric vehicles as a significant lever to achieve the goal of a true zero emission vehicle in 2030 years. Today's motion is about the potential of electric vehicles to make our roads clean and green. Air pollution is a major health hazard for everyone who lives and works in a city. London has introduced its new ultra low emission zone to try to clean up the air. Anyone who has been to Delhi, Beijing, or Shanghai talks of the air pollution. No-till pipe emissions mean cleaner, healthier. air. My final reason for optimism is that we are at the start of the electric vehicle development. If you compare a Model T to a modern Volkswagen Golf, they are barely related. But today, EVs, electric vehicles, the Nissan Leaf, or even a Tesla, are the equivalent of the Model T. Just imagine what they will be like in 15 or 20 years time. I myself have an EV and it's really fun to drive. The acceleration is incredible and driving with almost zero noise is a very singular experience. Usually when I suggest something like buying an EV at home, the first reaction of my wife and especially my mother-in-law is very reluctant. This was also the case, but after several months, they have abruptly changed their minds. It is particularly shocking to see my mother-in-law as she reviews new EV models to buy, especially considering that she doesn't have a driver's license. To summarize, uh, we must not remain stuck in the past. History has taught us that looking to the future and embracing innovation can help us overcome major obstacles as we did with the 1894 menu crisis. Electric vehicles offer us a mechanism to help solve the climate crisis while also having clear and wide-ranging benefits for human health and the health of our cities. My vote is for the yes. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Enrique. What a lovely piece of argument, but also storytelling. The manure crisis of the late 19th century is a new one on me, but it was uh, wonderful to also hear about, I think you said your mother-in-law, I think, um, looking for EV vehicles. Thank you very much for that, Enrique. Incredibly enjoyable. Lovely way to start. Let's go to our second speaker. Now, Christian Woolmar, for anyone who has followed transport for any part of their career or their life, is the granddaddy of expertise. I hope he doesn't mind me using that phrase, but the expert's expert, the person that any journalist worth his or her salt would reach for when wanting an expert opinion, a depth of knowledge in transport, you would always be reaching for Christian's phone number. He's award-winning, but it should be awards-winning in multiple plurals. Writer, broadcaster, specialising in transport, and author of a series of books on railway history. He is, he writes regularly for a huge number of publications, from The Guardian to The Times and all over, and is a regular appearer, Uh, makes regular appearances on all the main broadcast uh, channels.
2: The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super Super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud. You see, no hardware needed, so you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over thirty-seven thousand companies have already made the move. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/squared. That's netsuite.com/squared. Netsuite.com/squared. <laughs> Christian, over to you for
0: six minutes to put, at least in part, the opposite case.
4: Uh, Thank you, uh, Kamal, and thank you for that introduction. I hope that I can live up to it. I'm going to tell you a story as well, actually, because this electric vehicle revolution has been a long time coming. When I was a kid in the 1960s, growing up in Kensington, up on Camden Hill, which is the milk uh, used to be delivered by Hoppy the horse. Uh, literally, Hoppy the horse, who I gave a, a uh, sugar lump to every time uh, uh, the milkman came and I saw him, used to uh, pull the cart that had the milk in it. On the other hand, the Harrods deliveries, and this was Kensington, so there were quite a few Harrods deliveries, came by electric van. Managed to get up the hill and uh, quietly... Uh, delivered the goods. So what does that tell us? That tells us that change is awfully slow. And yet, you know, we are expecting a massive electric vehicle revolution that is supposed to take us up till 2030. You know, most of it is going to happen by then. So first of all, I don't believe that we can achieve... The aims that are uh, set out in uh, you know, various kind of uh, government uh, edicts and like. Now, look, I'm not going to say that electric vehicles are terrible. They're obviously not. They are somewhat cleaner. They do use less uh, energy. Uh, once they are manufactured, they're more efficient. But there is a downside at every advantage you suggest. There is a downside. So, You know, let's suggest that there's going to be lots and lots more electric vehicles and that the price will go down and that the price of the fuel will go down. What will that do? That will encourage more cars. Do we really want the number of cars that we have in Europe and uh, most of the West to spread out to India, all of Asia and and whatever. Do we want that level of car use? Look what's happened in China, where they used to have a wonderful way of getting around with bicycles and uh, and it basically functioned as such. And uh, now we have kind of a a completely polluted uh, city. So electric vehicles, encourage car use. They encourage low density development. So you can, you can commute by car. It spreads out. Low density development is bad for the environment. These houses are energy intensive and they use up a lot of land and they discourage public transport. But cars, are kind of enable that sort of long suburban uh, development. Third point is that you know, electricity is not exactly clean at the moment. If we called these cars coal-powered cars, which is the case in many places, India still produces 70% of its electricity from uh, coal, they wouldn't sound so good, would they? Coal-powered cars or oil-powered cars or whatever. Uh, It is, of course, as Enrique has recognised, of course, only uh, the more sustainable forms of electricity that give us an advantage over industri- internal combustion engines. There are all sorts of problems with electric cars. I've looked into this recently to possibly try to buy one, but the range wouldn't allow me to get to Wales, where my wife has relatives and the like, uh, without stopping at least once or twice. And... You know, I, we can't all afford Teslas, right? I know the verge of Teslas is much bigger, uh, but, you know, there's still really not the ability to move around kind of uh, uh, across the country. And we don't all live in houses where we can charge up. We we live in flats. We live in all sorts of places where it would be very difficult to, to charge uh, up these vehicles. And you'd have to have wires across the pavement, which people aren't going to like and the, and the like. Then we get into the problem of, of course, where these batteries are coming from. And look, this is a well-rehearsed argument. We know this, but, you know, the large amounts, maybe 40,000 children working in cobalt mines in uh, in the Congo in its research of this, I found that to produce lithium uses two-thirds of the water in Chile. And, you know, that's to produce a fairly small number of electric vehicles, and 75 tons of acid waste for every ton of rare earth element that is produced. And that is not very sustainable. Finally, of course, there's the other end, which is disposal, the disposal of, of batteries. And the recent statistics are still that only a very small percentage, maybe 5 or 10% of lithium batteries, are recycled. And trying to recycle these batteries is very difficult and dangerous work, which, you know, is, is good, bound to be costly, but is also going to be environmentally unsustainable if it's carried out like shipbreaking is carried out in kind of third world countries where employment standards are no good. So just to sum up, there is one fundamental problem with these cars, right? They're still cars, right? They still run on uh, four wheels. They still take up a lot of road space. They create congestion. They still need roads which separate out communities within towns and cities with dual carriageways, with uh, motorways and the like. They're still quite dangerous, and indeed, you know, as a cyclist, I sometimes get buzzed by by these modern taxis because I don't hear them behind me. So there are those sort of issues. They will still run uh, people over. They'll still encourage car use, which we know is a great inhibitor of physical activity. People will still go for journeys of uh, one or two kilometres by these cars. It will not encourage public transport. They'll get in the way of public transport. And finally, just look at what happened when there was a transport day at COP26. There was virtually no mention of the most sustainable forms of transport, cycling, walking. All the concentration was on electric vehicles. And that just showed that the priorities are wrong. Yes, electric vehicles you know, are, may be a small part of the solution in some instances, but they're not really going to help us be cleaner and greener. Thank you.
0: Christian, brilliant. A tour de force for the other side of the argument. Audience, your questions are already coming in and they're brilliant. Do keep adding to those. We will come to them shortly. So it's great to see questions already coming in. Do use the Q&A tab function and do tweet as Enrique and Christian, Christian's arguments are developed. So Enrique, some strong points there from Christian. Let's go through a couple of them. This notion around the obsession with cars, that, that whatever that, whatever type of car it is, the notion that we as individuals should be able to sit in a singular box transporting ourselves around is not actually creating the fundamental discussion we need to have around particularly public transport and, as Christian says, walking and cycling. I chaired an event at that COP26 transport day and that very much was the debate, so Enrique, are we simply transferring our obsession for fossil fueled cars into an obsession with electric vehicles
3: it's a it's a very good question and I tempted to agree with uh, Christian and and also with you that it's also a problem uh, and it's also an issue uh, the number of cars but it's not it's not in the same scale. What I'm trying to say is that uh, there are different kind of problems that are running in parallel. For me, congestions, the, the number of private cars that you have uh, right now in big cities, it's a, a local issue. Because for example, in Spain, 70% of the population lives in 9.6% of the surface. So basically... Spain, Spain is a country which is uh, not empty, but uh, a lot of empty spaces. So the problem about uh, cars and about uh, you know private cars are a focus, specifically in big cities, in big cities like Madrid or Barcelona, uh, of course in London as well. But for example, what I'm trying to say is that uh, the complexity to change that, the complexity to change the habits of the people are going to uh, involve a lot of different kind of solutions. There's no one size fits all solution for everything regarding that issue. But on the contrary, the decarbonization the of, 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 the, of the road transport through the electrification, you are tackling directly health, uh, air quality, and you are tackling also everything related with uh, CO2 emissions, at least a part of that. So for me, uh, there's a different scale. One is a global problem. The other one is local, but probably worldwide spread. But the scale of the problem is different. Usually, we are trying to mix both. We we like to mix both. We like to mix electric vehicles and car sharing, public transport. And there are different issues that we need to tackle in different ways. So for me, the good thing of electric vehicle is that you are decarbonizing. At least we are trying to, uh, you know, make something viable immediately because the better efficiency, the, the better air quality, et cetera, for the road transport. But of course, you need to tackle also the other issues. But for me, it's another discussion.
0: Thank you, Enrique. So, Christian, the fact is that, as Enrique says, people are in their cars, commuting in their cars. Car use is where it is. Electric vehicles are better. I'm asking you the question, actually. Are electric vehicles better than a petrol vehicle Well, or a diesel
4: there's vehicle? Well, uh, there's two aspects to address here. I mean, one, one is that because the marginal cost of using your electric car is actually going to be smaller than an internal combustion engine because the fuel is going to be cheaper. The capital cost is higher, we know that, but the marginal cost is going to be smaller. So therefore, having lots of electric cars will actually encourage people to make just the sort of journeys that we don't want them to make, which is, oh, they could just pop off a a couple of kilometers because it's virtually free for them. And if they take the bus, they might have to pay or whatever. So it's virtually free for them to, to, to use the car as much as possible. So that, that, in a way, exacerbates the problem and is, I think, the, one of the big arguments why uh, they're not greener. And in the same vein, that the whole idea of this is to make cars more attractive. So you're making them quieter. You, maybe you can make them more comfortable because uh, electric cars have a very smooth ride. The acceleration is great. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't make so much noise, all this stuff. So, so the very nature of electric cars actually goes against the argument that we're going to discourage kind of car use. It actually makes cars better. Uh, it makes cars cheaper. And therefore, it encourages greater congestion within towns and cities.
0: But, Christian, isn't the point that, that Enrique is making is that people are in their cars. So unless, Christian, you're saying, let's wait until we have the public transport alternatives and let people continue driving fossil-fuelled cars, it is better to make the transition to EV and have a separate debate around public transport, particularly if you happen to live in a rural area where there isn't going to be a bus and it's too far to cycle and there are no trains.
4: No, because you're you're actually encouraging greater car use. That's the point. You're encouraging greater car use uh, because of the attractive nature of it. And the minute you attract more people onto cars, you are. As a corollary, kind of discouraging other forms of transport. So, so look, the terms of trade are changing here. You know, the the electric cars become cheaper and even more attractive, and whereas we should be moving in the other direction, we should be having policies that shift in the other direction. I d- I never buy this argument. Oh, we have to provide the public transport first, and and then and then kind of see if people go to it. You you, you have nudges all the way through. You push people away from car use into other forms of, of transport. And the the electric cars are doing precisely the opposite. They're nudging them in favour of car use. Of course, some people will have to have cars and some people will, some journeys are impossible without. But uh, it's those all those marginal journeys that will be encouraged to people will be encouraged to make them by electric vehicles.
0: Christian, thank you so much. Enrique, one brief point before I go to questions. And just to say, I hope people are able to read the chat as well. Some fantastic contributions in the chat. Isabel Sheldon, board member at British Vault. People uh, describing electric car noise. Simon Butcher, thank you for your answer around uh, why are they so noisy? It's actually the tyres. Lydia Ebden talking about the complete change. Do have a look at the chat because it's absolutely brilliant. You two have sparked a debate. But just Enrique, just before I go to the audience questions, the specific questions we've got in front of us, Enrique, what about that argument that EVs are actually Mm. decreasing the cost of having individual vehicles and will encourage car use at just the time when we should be discouraging it?
3: (laughs) Well, from a point of view, I'm not sure that this is the real debate here, because I think that uh, the problem of, of, uh, of the problem of acquiring a private vehicle is usually something if you see the cars today, you can see that the people are not buying cars just because they need it. The people buy cars because uh, they enjoy the user experience. Of course, if you put a lot of good things in a car, it's going to be better the user experience. but I don't think that the, the main incentive is that to buy a car because it's expensive enough to to you know to, to think about it first. I think that, for example, having children at school is a <laughs> important thing to do if your job is not close to your home and schools are not closing up to your home. There are a lot of different factors that, in, that are involved. Of that, about that. and uh, I'm not sure that it's the only incentive to do that. Also, I would like to highlight just one thing. It's not just a matter of public transport versus or against private transport, it's also a matter of infrastructure. Uh, Robin Chase, a, a woman from California, I think, uh, from the US, explained that very well. He, he, she wrote uh, one sentence which was, which was Infrastructure is destiny. So uh, depending, for example, Los Angeles, if you want to encourage people in Los Angeles with uh, 320 miles of perimeter of city to use public transport instead of using private cars, it's going to be very difficult because the infrastructure matters. It's not just a matter of public versus private. It's also a matter of infrastructure. And this is something also very important for the decision of people.
0: Fantastic, Enrique. Thank you very much. Let's go to the questions, and they are flooding in, and also on the chat as well. Brilliant. Simon Kahn, or Carne asks, if the most sustainable building is the one that already exists, embedded carbon in brackets, isn't the most carbon-efficient electric city car the one that never moves? I think he's getting to the same point, Kristen, that you're making, is he not? <laughs> uh,
4: uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> a very clever question, Simon. Well done. Uh, um, yes. I mean, essentially, there's a point that if, if you don't use your car much, as I don't, I do possess a car, uh, but I use it very little. Is it really worth my while... Getting an electric car to replace this car when actually I have a car that, that, that you know, I barely use a thousand miles a year for. So I again, when I looked at the idea of an electric car, I realized, you know, actually, I don't think I'd be environmentally more sustainable by getting one.
0: Now, Enrique, I know you're an honest man. Has having an electric car meant that you drive more because it's just so exciting to be in it with that fast acceleration and you can whiz around and it's really cool. Have you driven more with your electric car or less?
3: (laughs) The same, because being honest, I have two daughters. So, uh, you know, I have a very tight agenda. So uh, even though I would love to drive more my electric vehicle, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> so really, I drive exactly the same amount of kilometers per day.
0: Great, Enrique. And uh, Christian, I need to ask you, why on earth do you have a car if you drive a thousand miles a year? You should get rid of it, surely, in a carbon neutral way.
4: Just for those journeys that are really difficult to, to do any other way, Some one or two cross London journeys or journeys to outside London when the trains are broken down and or not running or something. Just, I would actually sell it. But my wife kind of says, well, let's just keep it for emergencies. Okay.
0: Fantastic, Christian. Now, a question that's been in the chat as well, but is made um, directly by Siddhant. They ask, is hydrogen power a more viable fuel for vehicles than electricity. And someone asked in the chat as well, um, I think Clemmy just said, should we not simply wait until they, i.e. hydrogen cars, are ready? Enrique, would that be a better manoeuvre?
3: We strongly support in our company green hydrogen. But that being said, we don't, we don't think that they are going to be uh, a feasible solution for transport. Why? It's because energy efficiency mainly. Basically, the fuel cell vehicles, fuel cells, you put the hydrogen in, uh, inside the fuel cell, you create electricity, and then you use the electricity to move the car. You are including an extra process, an extra technical process, which decreases abruptly the energy efficiency. So you don't need to do that if batteries are enough. So, and, and it happens also with heavy-duty transport as well. So, even though it's currently under discussion, our figures are telling us, and some OEMs, uh, Scania, for example, uh, are saying more or less the same than us, that battery electric trucks are going to be the future in five years ahead. So, from my point of view, the problem of hydrogen is that using the hydrogen through through fuel cells It's less efficient. And putting the hydrogen directly in an internal combustion engine, you are losing a lot of energy efficiency because of the internal combustion engine process. So so in both cases, I think it's not going to be the future for transport. It's going to be the future for other processes, for example, process involved in the manufacturing of the car. Involves of the, of the chases of the of the of the outside the the outside parts of the car, but not uh, related okay. to the uh, power uh, powertrain. Basically, that is my point of view.
4: Can, can I just say something about that? Which is, I think we should explain green hydrogen. Of course, green hydrogen is the hydrogen that will be produced from. Solar panels and the like, which uh, you can't store the electricity, so you uh, then create uh, hydrogen through electrolysis and, and store the hydrogen. It's a very complicated process. But one of the real kind of problems, writing in in this field and, and covering this field, is the constant obsession with the big solution. You know that oh, we, we we're going to you know we're going to solve all the problems with. Uh, you know, hydrogen and we're going to solve it with you know, all sorts of different, wonderful electric things or kind of weird vehicles or aut- autonomous vehicles and shared use and so on. Mobility as a as a as a uh, as a system and all these kind of ideas. And do you know what? Essentially, in towns and cities, we're getting around the same way pretty much as uh, you know, ten or twenty years after Enrique described the horses. We're, we're you know, we're, we're dominated by cars. Bicycles actually look completely the same as they did in 1900. We've got buses, uh, we've got uh, underground systems and whatever. It's those systems that uh, dominate, and will probably keep on dominating. And this idea that there is this solution that is just round the corner. Uh, is uh, really distracts us from trying to deal with the current problems and the current congestion and 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 all the issues around Thank that. Thank you,
3: Christian.
0: Uh, Enrique, yes, just briefly. Yep, lots of questions to get through, but yes, yep.
3: Can I can I say just one thing? Yes, very briefly. Yes, I, I would like to highlight just one idea here. Is what I call present continuous syndrome, which is something. That uh, we think that uh, if it's happening today, it's going to happen forever. And uh, something that we discover, for example, from solar technology, solar panels, is that the technology nowadays are moving very fast. A range of EVs change uh, multiplied for three in the last 10 years, multiplied by three in the last. Ten years. This is something just to remind that things are moving on. We are not static. And then I will probably uh, go, uh, you know, deeper in that uh, in that idea. That's all for my point. my side.
0: Okay, Ricky. Thank you very much. Status quo bias, as we say in economics, you're absolutely right, Kristin. I think for you, Jackie Pedersen in the chat has given a very good. Uh suggestion, the answer to small use of your car is to belong to a car club. So, Christian, do investigate that with your uh wife. Now, this is anonymous attendee. Will batteries in electric cars ever be good enough to make using them as convenient as cars that run on fossil fuels, both in terms of battery life and how long they take to charge? Now, Christian, that's not the big question as you suggest we should be answering, but Enrique, as a man with his finger on the pulse of the technology, how do you answer that?
3: Yes, I think that uh, the, the most important thing here is that to understand that the energy density of the battery, which is the amount of energy that you can have in one kilogram of battery, has almost doubled in the first 10 years and we are expecting to double with the same technology in the next 10 years. That implies that uh, if today, for example, I have a Hyundai Kona, it's not a Tesla, it's not a fancy car, but it's really good, really affordable, and with more than 400 uh, kilometers of range, uh, real range. So uh, now range is not uh, the big deal for electric vehicles. It's something that is sorted out. The problem uh, right now, from my point of view, is uh, is, is price. So focusing on batteries, what I'm trying to say is that batteries right now, uh, and we have information for the first Nissan Leaf of of 2010, 2011, is lasting more or less 10 years with at least 80% of the battery intact, at least 80%. This is... Uh, real informations and real, uh, real data that means that for the future, we more or less expect at least ten years of of, of, of life. But probably with uh, the new batteries, solid state batteries or new chemistry, we are going to have even more than uh, for example a combust- internal combustion engine. What I'm trying to say here is that the data that we have today it's giving us a very optimistic point of view about the durability and uh, the, uh, the the capacity to high uh, to to charge uh, in higher power. And just to uh, to end about that, uh, today Porsche Taycan uh, can charge at uh, three no two eighty kilowatts, which means probably. Less than uh, thirty minutes of, of charging eighty percent of the of the battery, this implies that probably most of cars in the last in the next five eight years are going to charge less than thirty minutes at least eighty percent of the battery, even fifteen minutes in, in in some cases, probably in the premium uh, segment would be uh, fifteen minutes. Less than that? No. But 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes is something much more affordable than two hours or something like that. So we are working in in higher power. And this is something that you are going to see in most models today and and increasingly in the following years. Thank you, Enrique. Really
0: helpful. Christine, if I could come to you with uh, the next question. So if cars are too big and we don't want more on the road, how about promoting smaller vehicles like electric scooters, electric bikes? Is this a viable alternative?
4: Well, it's not a viable alternative for everyone but certainly one has seen already that scooters, I think uh, I, I'm quite supportive of scooters. I think they might be something against it. I think they're rather dangerous at the moment. They, they're uncontrolled, they're unlicensed, uh, people ride them on pavements and whatever. But they may well be, they may well take some cars off the road. But essentially, we we need a, a transport policy and you know, I've written a book about transport policy that basically said there has no be, never been a transport policy. But we actually, you know, at this stage in time, after COP26 and whatever, we actually need a transport policy that looks at reducing the amount of transport we need, and that's that's what we've never had. So uh, all these things are, are partial solutions, and, and they're working towards you know a, a better kind of environment and the like. But until we actually tackle the problem of saying we don't need more mobility, we don't need to get around more. We need accessibility. And that's a very different concept. So we need the local facilities to be near. We need the local schools to be there. We need the hospitals to be there. We need to live in kind of quite dense environments and, and, and so on. And then that will create the preconditions by which we need uh, fewer cars, and that's happening to some extent. You know, there's a, you know, you only have to look at London to see where are the developments. The developments are in places with kind of railway stations and and uh, uh, quick access. You know, Crossrail, for example, is stimulating vast number of developments. So, so it's a much longer term issue than just saying, oh well, we we, we, we need to few more people to be using kind of scooters and bicycles or whatever. It's a fundamental planning issue which we should be treating as part of the climate emergency.
0: Thanks. Thank you, Christian. Enrique, back to you. It's really to address a point made by Christian in his opening remarks, but also made by members of the audience in the chat as well. The awful statistics, as it's described here by the questioner, about manufacturing the batteries, child labour, huge water consumption, lithium-making consequences, and then disposing of them. Huge pollution, question mark. A crucial point, the questioner
3: says, how do you answer it? Well, there is a lot of background noise relating this issue because you, you need to understand that uh, we are here debating this, basically, because there are some points that are not clear. And some points are, you know, the, the storytelling are, uh, you know, created by the OEMs, and some OEMs are not very happy to change the production lines and and all the business and all 50, 80 years of internal combustion R&D and, you know, push forward like Tesla or other uh, traditional OEMs that are more bold in this uh, new transformation. To do that, what, what I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of data regarding the emissions of uh, in the manufacturing of the battery that are not strictly accurate. Sometimes they are using data from 2015, 2016. Sometimes they are using data that is, they are temporary. For example, let let me explain just one thing. We know that probably more of the battery factories are going to be close to, to the car factory because it's going to be cheaper. It's going to be easier. China today manufactures 20% of the whole car fleet worldwide. But it's manufacturing a big percentage of batteries. And eighty percent, sixty, more than sixty-five percent worldwide. So people are saying, well, most of the batteries are manufacturing in China with a lot of coal, so it's bad for the for the for the climate. And I understand that. But it's a temporary situation because it's going to change. Europe is going to build more battery factories. U.S. is going to build more battery factories. So probably in the future, you are going to see more or less the same percentage than today. 20%, 27% of batteries manufactured in China, but not today, probably in the future, but this is going to happen probably. The other thing is the disposal. Uh, regarding that, I would like to remind that uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the lead acid batteries the percentage of disposal was really small. And today the percentage is more than 98%. So we need to build a business, you know, related to this kind of disposals because there's a lot of useful materials that we can reuse. And this is something that is going to happen. Of course it's going to happen. That is what I'm telling you about the the status quo bias that you said or the present continuous syndrome, it's something that it, it, it seems that it's going to be exactly the same. And it's not true. It's not going to be exactly the same. It's going to change. It's changing. How, how many percentage of Chinese cars are selling in Europe or in the US or outside China? Very small. So, you know, it's it's a, it's a false debate to focus on that. And also, and this is just to end, uh, uh our numbers shows us that only 10% of all the emissions related to manufacturing are belong to batteries, only 10%. This is our numbers. So, you know, it's the problem here is the background noise that, you know, the fight with, uh, with uh, one data and the other data. And it's difficult because we need, we need, we need to check the assumptions and always, we don't always have that, that opportunity to check the assumptions, but, uh, Honestly, I think that uh, you know this is something that is going to change, and in the right way, absolutely.
4: Can I just challenge something there? Because you didn't really address the issue of the mining of uh, cobalt, lithium, rare other rare earths, and stuff. You just say, "Oh well, the statistics," and that you might be right that the statistics might be improving. But nevertheless, do you, as an industry, have you done enough? To try to ensure that these are mined sustainably, and to actually work out whether it is actually possible to mine these uh, sustainably at all, or whether you know whether this is just going to always be a fundamental problem.
3: The only thing, that, the only thing that I know for sure is that the OEMs uh, are changing continuously. The the chemistry of the batteries, the chemistry, cobalt is decreasing continuously. And it's going to decrease more. We know perfectly what is happening in, in Congo and, and other places related to cobalt, and we are pushing a lot to decrease that amount. And I'm sure that we are going to see, you know, a, you know, a mix of chemistries less, with less impact in the future chemistry are changing continuously. You maybe, uh, you don't know, but not you, Christian, of course, I am telling, you know, for the, uh, thinking about the audience. But uh, if we talk about lithium-ion batteries, it's not just one single battery. There's a lot of different chemistries that are changing continuously. And this is something that we need to be aware, of, that uh, we need to focus on that because I agree with you. There are certain problems that we need to address properly. But the best way to address that is to decrease this kind of components, and the companies are doing that. But we are in a process. This is not something that is ended. It's in a process of improvement. That's the, my point okay. there. Enrique, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Christian, for that question. I'm just very aware of the time. Thank you so much for your questions. Sorry that we have to move the debate on. The chat is amazing. I hope Intelligence Squared can capture some of the arguments there, and 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 uh, the membership can get hold of those because it really is brilliant. The expertise we've seen on the chat is is fantastic, and a little bit of wit in there as well, which is always nice to see. We're going to move on now to the final part of the debate. So it's going to be two minutes of closing arguments from Enrique and Christian and then we'll have our final vote and see who has changed their minds through this debate. But Christian, for two minutes, the floor is yours.
4: Okay. well, let me first of all debunk one one myth, which is the idea that somewhere like Los Angeles is so spread out, you can never do anything else but uh, be dependent on, on cars. Actually, oddly enough, Zurich, which is one of the most sustainable cities in the world, has almost the same... Intensity of population as uh, Los Angeles, so it's a matter of policies. We can actually change this, and I think that we have to keep that in mind. We are not necessarily in hock to the car. The car, you know, is might well be seen as a, a transient. Crazy invention, which has caused more damage, more ill health, more pollution than any other, and and therefore just making the car slightly nicer, slightly better, I think is the is the wrong solution. We have to look and concentrate our resources. There's there's an opportunity cost here, which I think is essential. That if you just concentrate and say, well, EVs are going to be the solution. I mean, I've written a book on driverless cars, which for a while was kind of being portrayed as the ultimate solution. And they're going to be shared use, electric, autonomous cars. In fact, I've debunked that completely. Somebody on the chat has actually mentioned that. But there is no kind of way that we are going to have a world full of shared use, electric, driverless cars. There's no way that anybody wants that or that it's kind of uh, achievable. And I think Enrique has to deal with the problem of saying... uh, deal with the problem of, of the current production... Of EVs, and it's no good just saying, "Well, we're going to find solutions in the future." We've heard that kind of thing before. You know, the, the 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 whole production of of EVs at the moment is reliant on a very very dirty industry, and therefore we can't kind of then say, "Oh well, you know, it's going to get better in the in the in the near future. It's going to going to improve." We have to realize that. This is not part, uh, a part of the solution it's just adding to the problems that have already been caused by uh, our dependence on cars. Thank you very much, uh,
0: Christian
3: Enrique. the final two minutes to you. Thank you very much I want to highlight just one thing because I would like to stress just one point here. I think that it's not this debate is not you know a, cars against no cars, or uh, this debate is about electric vehicle. So we need to focus in if the electric vehicle can make our roads cleaner and healthier and and greener. And, And from my point of view, this is something that it's true and it's happening. The other issue that I completely agree with Christian, which is the problem of the big amount of private cars on the streets... It's a very complex issue in which we don't have a clear solution for that. But regarding the decarbonization of the road transport, we have a very good solution that can decrease abruptly the amount of emissions of transport. And this is something that is going to develop in the future. What I'm trying to you know, raise here and what I'm trying to encourage you is that the batteries has a... a impressive, you know, performance improvement in the last five, ten years, and they are going to have it. And the industry are going to work very closely in order to decrease these things that they are not working properly. We, if everything is okay and EVs are excellent, we didn't have this debate. It's impossible to have a debate of something that is clear. Of course, it is not clear. But what I'm trying to try to to, to highlight is the importance to focus in what we can solve, not what we don't know how to solve. This is my final point. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Enrique. So back to you, our audience, and look how many of you have been with us in this amazing debate thank you so much Enrique thank you so much Christian for all the thoughts and thank you so much audience for the brilliant chat brilliant questions so let's ask the question for the final time please do vote now yes electric vehicles will make our roads green and clean or no electric vehicles will not make our roads green and clean via the poll on your screen And if you are still not sure, then vote undecided. And we'll get the the, uh, results of that in a second. Christian, can I come to you while we're just waiting for that? It takes a minute or so to come through. Christian, what is the solution if it's not electric vehicles? Do we stick with fossil fuel powered cars for longer, given that it is, people feel it is a right to be able to drive and it's enormously convenient for many people? Or do we have an abrupt stop of the right to drive?
4: Uh, no, I, I think we can't quite do that. What, what I would suggest is that we need an overall strategy, with possibly with targets. And then we need a whole series of nudges and pushes. And we've been going in exactly the wrong direction, Kamal, as you know, as an economist. Uh, you know, we've had fuel tax uh, rises. We had cancelled for the last 11 years. They've always put forward and they say, no, we're going to cancel it as a bit of good news in the a quote, unquote, in the, in the budget. Uh, and then we've had, uh, railfares go up by the rate of inflation or at times 1% above the rate of inflation. We've had vast amounts of government money put into all these crazy, crazy kind of schemes like autonomous vehicles and uh, or, you know bizarre technologies that they think will be a solution. And we haven't just invested in the fundamental things like buses, improving bus services, improving cycling infrastructure, improving pavements to make it easier to walk, making access to schools much easier, all that kind of stuff. So So it's a whole kind of gamut of things that you need to do. And we shouldn't be distracted by technology, because actually, as I suggested, much of the way we move is pretty much like we used to move 100 years ago, apart from kind of high speed trains and, and uh, 747s. Thank you so
0: much, Christian. Enrique, final sentence. Are you still feeling optimistic?
3: <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely. <laughs> <Fantastic.
0: laughs> I'm glad to hear it. The votes are back. Let's see how this debate changed people's minds. Let's not forget that at the beginning, yes to the question greener and cleaner, 39%. No to the question greener and cleaner, 19%. Undecided, 42%. The final vote, yes, greener and cleaner, 49%. No, 35%. Undecided, 42% which gives me great delight in saying Enrique and Christian, you have both up to your percentage of support with your passionate thoughts and arguments in this amazing hour we spent together. But in the end, the audience does believe a majority of the uh, bigger percentage of the audience does believe that it will mean greener and cleaner roads. Just for me to finally say thank you so much to Enrique and to Christian For that fabulous event, do go on to the Intelligence Squared website where there will be a recording of this event very shortly. And also do join us for our next event, which is also on the website. I wanted to say thank you so much to Intelligence Squared. Thank you so much to... Iberdrola for staging this event and also for supporting the whole Energize series. How important is it? Well, we've just seen the passion in this event. Do go over onto Twitter or other social media platforms to continue this discussion. Thank you so much for all the comments we've had. They've been absolutely brilliant. Thanks again for joining us and have a very pleasant evening. Good night.
1: What are you doing right now? Find out more by going to wwwintelligencequaredcom forward slash
2: partnerships.